great day, and it was a it was a, it was a, it was a good day, but it's also <clears throat> like I had a, like a pretty high high and like a pretty low low after. Like I crashed pretty hard after. Um, I think, I mean, that was like black belt was my goal for ten years. You gotta think, I got my blue belt in 2013, so that was my first goal was blue belt. It was like the first like insurmountable goal that I made. And then after that, I was like, okay, if I can get through what I got through to get a blue belt, I can get a black belt for sure. Cause I'm, I mean, I'm super, <clears throat> you know, I just, I knew I could persevere through it. So when I reached that goal, it was almost like, literally I woke up that day. I was still brown belt trying to achieve this goal of black belt. And then Ishmael Manley just, you know, you deserve a black belt, ties a belt around your waist. It's like, I still am the same guy with, and now like that burning desire I had to, to get to this goal it is all of a sudden it's like, okay, you achieved it. It's like, you can, it's like, do you relax? Do you, can you, can you chill out now? Or do you, um, like what now? That's what I, I asked Ishmael. I was like, Ish, what, what the hell do I do now? He's like, just chill out for a few weeks. At least I was to tell people. What is up everybody? And welcome back to the Pohada podcast. As usual, Matt Browse here, the host of these conversations. The guy shakily holding the camera for the instructionals now available on the Pohada Podcast YouTube channel. And the guy behind the camera for Pohada Photography. Do please subscribe to the YouTube channel, at least check it out. And check out at Pohada Photography and at the Pohada Podcast on the various social medias. This time around, along with the triumphant return of our friend Polly, I talked with Morgan Fraser, a new black belt at the time of the recording. We get into his training and coaching philosophy and his view of the jujitsu mountain, all while hearing his story to getting a black belt in jujitsu. Do feel free to reach out to Morgan on social media if you find yourself interested in coaching or having him for a seminar at your gym. His handle is at RazorFraserJJ. I'll put that in the show notes. For a taste of his style, check out his instructional video on safe heel hook practice on the Pohada podcast YouTube channel. Anyhow, without further ado, my friend... Morgan Fraser. I've only ever seen one guy get put out real, real bad. It was actually in training. He uh, he got caught in like a katagatami, and you know he's he's a tough bastard. So he obviously wasn't tapping, and he was also like trying to get out. So he's thrashing and all that stuff. But at some point, the guy who was putting it on him. You know, he kept it on so long that he actually did go out, and he just thought he was playing possum. Okay. And then he started like convulsing, but he thought he was trying to trying get out to get too. Out? So he eventually figured out that he was out and he let go. It was kind of a scary situation because it took him a while to wake up. And when he did wake up, he wasn't like all there. Okay. You know, it took him a long time to really come, come through. Around. And when I asked the guy, he's like, how long do you think you held that choke for? You know, from start to finish, he goes, and he was kind of like shook it up. He goes, I don't know, maybe minutes. No. I mean, he literally just thought he was, cause he was playing possum and he was thrashing at yeah. some point, but then he went out and he was also convulsing. So he couldn't like, which is crazy because he was a black belt, so you couldn't even tell, right? But, um, you know, both his eyes got um, were all bloodshot for, like, weeks after that. So it took him a while to, like, recover. Like, he just kind of was like that brain fog thing. So, ugh, scary shit, man. Minutes? As we said, he goes, it could have been minutes. 
minutes of holding holding the choke on a guy that he thought was just playing possum. Like, <laughs> fine line between playing possum and sleeping. Yeah, well, that's also a hard choke to tell. It's not like you know, sure, when, you, when sure. you loop choke someone like like a rope. You know, put, yeah. the, put the noose around his neck. You can tell when he goes limp. Yeah, they were. Oh yeah, you can tell. Yeah. But you know, Rinnick a choke, same thing. You know, you can tell, and, and you can count in your head too. When you when you got that on, sometimes I'll count to ten and they'll go up before then. You know, but Katagatami, it's hard, man. You got to squeeze through some some meat. It's <laughs> the episode title right there. Uh, <laughs> I should have said that before we were on the mics, because now it feels like we're waiting to start. Mm-hmm. We've already started. Oh, okay. We're going. <laughs> we're doing this thing. Yep. When did you get your black belt, Morgan? Um, was it last month? It's pretty pretty recent. Yeah. Is it just a month now? I think so. You don't remember was, the date? No. Mm. I think it was the I think it was the tenth. It was the Jared seminar. So December tenth. Okay. Yeah. Big day. Great day, and it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a good day, but it's also <clears throat> like I had a, like a pretty high high and like a pretty low low after. Like I crashed pretty hard after. Um, I think, I mean, that was like black belt was my goal for ten years. You gotta think I got my blue belt in twenty thirteen, so that was my first goal was blue belt. It was like the first like insurmountable goal that I made, and then. After that, I was like, okay, if I can get through what I got through to get a blue belt, I can get a black belt for sure. Because I'm, I mean, I'm super, <clears throat> you know, I just, I knew I could persevere through it. So when I reached that goal, it was almost like, literally I woke up that day, I was still brown belt, trying to achieve this goal of black belt. And then Ishmael Bentley just, you know, you deserve a black belt, ties a belt around your waist. It's like, I still am the same guy with, and now like that burning desire I had to to get to this goal it is all of a sudden it's like okay you achieved it it's like you can it's like do you relax do you can you can you chill out now or do you um like what now that's what I I asked Ishmael I was like Ish what what the hell do I do now he's like just chill out for a few weeks is what he says to tell people but yeah it was kind of uh did you chill out for a few weeks uh I <laughs> did you get yeah, sick or something? Yeah, I know I got super sick after that, so it made me chill out. It made me kind of like you know, like I need some more goals. That was my my goal. Mm-hmm. I can no longer use that that burning desire of trying to get to this. It's not just getting to the level, but it, there was more than I realized how much I put a weight on that belt as like a marker for my for my goal. It seemed like everything I was doing was moving up until that point. You you'll see when you get there too, you guys. <laughs> It was like it Polly was. Will. <laughs> it was such a goal of mine that like the black belt, and I was ready. I was willing to die for it, you know, and I was willing to kill for it. And <clears throat> in competition, you know, that kind of like that mindset, and then to like just be given that belt, and it's like you can relax now. Uh, it's hard, man. It's like showing up to jujitsu every day in pursuit of a goal is like getting high every day. And then you take that away. It's like, oh man, I need to, I need to like reevaluate what what I'm gonna do moving forward. Even though it could be all the same things, it's, it felt different to me. So I'm still figuring it out. For sure. Yeah. What What is the next goal? Um. Well, I think some of it is, you know, business as usual. But I think there's also more of an emphasis on giving back, 
teaching, coaching, you know, there's, there's more than just, you know, you have, you have to give, give yourself new goals, you know, otherwise I'd probably just quit if I didn't have another goal. Be like, all right, I got it. I'll move on to karate now or boxing or something, you know? (laughs) I don't know why that's funny. It shouldn't be funny, but karate. Yeah. I think a lot of people, you know, are like belt collectors. People will, when they get to a black belt, if there's no avenue of like what to do after this, you know, they'll move on to something else. You know, like my original coach, Matt Riche from, um, from Thunder Bay, he was like that. He had black belts in like tons of arts, you know, he was good at everything too. But I remember like he got to black belt in jujitsu, mind you, his, his body wasn't like holding up, but he just like, you know, took a huge backseat in his jujitsu journey and went into just like teaching and coaching. But he like literally just like stopped rolling and moved on to something else. Because he had to, because he was beat up, or just yeah. to have something else. But I had heard that that's kind of like what he was like. You know, he got he would get like his Aikido black belt and he'd like move on. And he got like his, I don't know what else he's got, but he, yeah. he got like a bunch of black belts. Master, quote unquote, reach a level of mastery in yeah. something, and then and then move on and master something else. Right, and then move on to master something else. Fortunately, jujitsu is so vast that you know you can never really master it in a lifetime. You can get a pretty great understanding of it you can get a snazzy belt and say you're done yeah but you, you you really aren't done you just need more goals i always thought it was bullshit when people would say like oh once you get to a black belt it's like oh you know it's like the journey just begins and i'd be like oh it's bullshit i'm gonna be the same dude but then when i got it and i realized that that's the only way in my mind i could frame it and, and want to keep going you know i had to put an end to that chapter of my life which was 10 years, well, more than that, of trying to get to Black Belt. And then when you get it, you can't just keep going. You have to, like, end that journey and start a new goal for me. so. Well, I bet the perspective is different because, you, like you were saying, you showed up to the gym as a brown belt and someone bestowed upon you a Black Belt. And you're like, okay, well, what is different from three minutes ago to now? Yeah. So you realize you only have so much understanding Mm -hmm. and you still have so many questions Mm -hmm. or, or gaps. So, like, clearly that's the question of black belt. Then. Yeah. And mine was, like, like, is that it? Like, I was willing to pay more. You know, I was willing to, to, to give more to, you know, to achieve that. So, powerful stuff, man. I don't think anybody's in the instant fully agreed with them getting a black belt mm-hmm. when I've asked them about it. And maybe because it is so long and it is sort of subjective. The process is so long and... and the knowledge base is sort of subjective. Sure. But, and maybe because you, yeah, you still have gaps in your game and so many questions about it, but like everybody that I've, I've put on the mics has been like, really? I'm a black belt. This is <laughs> that, that's what a black belt is. Right. Yeah. I, I guess I never thought that I was, I wasn't undeserving. It was more of like a what now. Sure. Kind of, sure. Kind of thing. What did you mean by, uh, you had the high of high and the low of lows. Like, did you legitimately have that, like, post-competition, like, almost depression going on? for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was such a great day, and it's such a great moment of, you know, celebration, and I think it's pretty natural for you to come down from that, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So, it was was like that for a few weeks. Who was your first black belt role? Uh, My first black belt role, ish. Must have been ish, right? 
No. Was it? Was it? I, I, thought, don't, I, thought, I, I don't think so. I, I thought it was Aria. Yeah, oh, it was my wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll edit this to make it sound like you remembered that. Yeah, yeah. And she went super hard on me, too. She was like, I'm going to choke that motherfucker. You guys before me. <laughs> I was like, let's just chill, man. She's like, chill, baby. Yeah. Uh, Drew's buddy that came in and took some video, I, I was like, make sure you get some some clips of that. I think, oh, that's cool. a, I think that's a good role to have. So there's video somewhere. That felt like That felt like the first dance that we never had at our wedding similar it's like hey first black belt roll yeah funny. What, what you didn't have a first dance <laughs> no i don't wedding. think we did maybe, maybe we did we're pretty, we're pretty drunk i don't quite remember <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like a big shebang wedding you know yeah, we just yeah. kind of we just yeah. kind of did the what do you call that justice of the peace and then we went for dinner with mm-hmm. like you know 12 friends and yeah. family members i got married recently i went to my buddy's gym because he's like a licensed whatever and a gym owner mm-hmm. so we literally like stood by the dumbbell rack and filled out the paperwork and yeah that's the way to do it yes for sure it's funny because we both wanted to do that oh yeah when we decided like you know when i like asked her to, to marry me and she says yes and then we like you know you marinate on it for like five days and then we're like all right how are we actually gonna do this shit mm-hmm. it's like do you want a big wedding no me neither fucking great perfect, <laughs> perfect. no perfect. expectations like who you want to invite and you know, it's like we made this like super short list of people, and then that was it. We uh, did the paperwork with my buddy Mark, and then drove to her sister's house and had them sign as witness. <laughs> <laughs> there weren't even people there. We he, just did he the didn't damn tell thing. Tell us, I mentioned that text thread earlier. Today. Yeah. None of us on the text thread even knew. Yeah, I saw I your Facebook. Yeah, that's how like we saw it on Facebook, and I texted him. I'm like, "Hey, man, are you fucking joking, or is this for real?" And, and it wasn't <laughs> updating your status to engage; it was updating your status to marry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I thought it was a joke. It could look like a joke. Yeah. Congrats. <laughs> uh, that seems like a cool way to do it. Roll with the wife first, even though you didn't remember doing it. What what, what rank is she? She's a brown belt. Is she a brown belt? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I honestly had no idea. Yeah, when we met, she was, she's always been a higher rank than me. So this is the first belt. No, no, brown belt I got before her too. But yeah, she's like she's an OG for Minnesota. She's very very good. Yeah, mm-hmm. been at this a long time. She started when she was like twelve or thirteen. What? Yeah, yeah. Oh shit. Yeah. So. So she's, she's gonna be like one of those Rocco people that just seems to just know things. There's just weird quirks in there that she's just done it so many years that she just knows yeah. things. She's not great at explaining it, but her body moves like she learned jujitsu from a young age. Yeah. And she can just do things and, you know, like I, I actually learned a lot from her, you know, she, she has a lot to, to offer. She just isn't super into jujitsu like I am or like, you know, wanting to be like in the space, but she's good. She's, she grew up gnarly. a little bit. Yeah, she has other interests, unlike me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, t- t- say the place you started at again. Uh, I started at Leading Edge MMA. Tell me about it. Uh, Thunder Bay, Ontario. So <clears throat> I started there. Well, see, I, I kind of got into the space because I, I saw UFC one day. It was UFC 57 in like 2006. Bladell Couture 3. Okay. And then I was like so captivated by this shit that. I, I told my dad about it. I was like, Dad, you got to check this out. So we, I'm like, we got to go. UFC 58 is coming up. And it was USA versus Canada. And, you know, I was like, oh, hell yeah. You know, it's like you're speaking directly to me. BJ Penn versus GSP. Got my dad involved. And we went to like a bar and watched it. And then I was like hooked, like beyond hooked. Like this shit is crazy. I wasn't really even into boxing or any combat sports. 
So it took me about a year. I think I bought some jujitsu books and some like 10th planet jujitsu books. And I kind of like used that year to like get ready. I like did all these stretches and I like read over the book a bunch of times, you know. <laughs> and then I signed up for like the leading edge MMA. I think it was 2008 at the time. The jujitsu jiu- program wasn't super developed there. It was more of an MMA school and you kind of just like got it all got it all in at the same time and I I went there and so I was like jumping in doing like I think the class was called hardcore conditioning (laughs) (laughs) jiu-jitsu boxing I think there was an MMA class and I just like just died I just got my ass kicked so bad (laughs) and my body couldn't handle it so I kind of like was like in and out like trying it again and and then not but then I got back into it in uh, like early 2012 and there was like kind of like a changeover where there was some new people there that kind of like we're taking the direction a little bit differently that came from another uh, like a bigger jiu-jitsu gym and uh so yeah this guy's name was john veal and he was a purple belt really good and he was running the jiu-jitsu classes there and still a pretty big deal at the time having a purple belt i would assume yeah there was there wasn't very many i gotta say there was probably one or two other purple belts there and then there was maybe one brown belt and then Matt Veal, yeah. or Matt was the black belt there. Oh, okay. So that was like kind of like a softer introduction to jiu-jitsu for me. And so he ran uh, some of the classes, and he was like, took a different approach, like almost like a more of like a modern day approach to jiu-jitsu, where you like didn't just get your ass absolutely handed to you on the first day or the first couple of weeks. It was, you know, and I could just go to jiu-jitsu. I didn't have to do, I didn't have to get my jiu-jitsu from doing an MMA class. You know, I was going to ask, was the hardcore conditioning or the combined thing the only thing? And it was, huh? uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I can't quite remember, but that was my impression of it, that maybe it was me like not communicating well, that I just wanted to do jujitsu. But, um, so yeah, it started there and primarily MMA school, but they had like a really core, I think for the first time, like a real jujitsu team and these guys had competed and yeah, it was, uh, it was a really good experience it was still really hard, you know, as a white belt, no one like kind of like took it easy on you. Like my journey through that was, was not easy. I think a lot of people in that situation probably would have quit, you know, um, cause there was only one other dude that was a white belt. I remember in the class and he had his way with me. He just darts me over and over again. Shout out to Steve, Stephen Malley. And I think it was nine months before the next guy signed up that stayed. You know? Yeah, birth of a new program, right? There's there's one high belt, a couple middles, yeah. and then one rando new guy. That sounds about right. Yeah. Um, so that experience was good, and I was just super obsessed trying to learn how to do jujitsu, and I was doing as much as I could. And uh, you know, Matt, um, Coach Matt, was teaching classes, and then there was this one like jujitsu savant dude. His name was Keith McGilvery. And I know he, the other white belt that was absolutely shit kicking me, you know, he was taking private lessons from this guy, Keith. So I'd be like, I'd ask Keith, I was like, Hey Keith, you, you know, would you like do private lessons? He goes, Oh, I'll think about it. <laughs> and he like really wasn't interested because, you know, teaching is one thing, but private lessons is coaching. It's, it's completely different. There's like a, there's an emotional thing to it that you have to kind of, when you're, when you're coaching somebody, you know, it's not just like, you know, if I show up and do a seminar, you're, you're teaching, you're showing moves, you know, and then you're out of there. That's an investment if you're coaching somebody, you know. So it kind of took him a while. And once he kind of saw that, like, I wasn't going away, he finally learned my name. He's like, fuck it. All right, Morgan, we'll, we'll, do, we'll do private lessons. So I did one or two. I think I did two a week with him. And it was super basic stuff. And he was, like, rough around the edges, but he, like, 
got some stuff through to me, you know, like, and that's when I noticed I started getting, I started getting better. I actually had someone to help me through it. It wasn't just like learning a move, you know, cause you, you learn how to like do jujitsu, but really you're learning how to like your, your body moves and, and how to like retrain your body, how to move. He was actually like from like white belt teaching me some, some actual shit, you know, like how to control hands, how to control someone's head, how to offline people's alignment, how to, you know, properly load people up. There was like a lot of concepts there that he was all about that I got like early on that's, that helped me. And, um, so did you darse the other white belt then? <laughs> I don't think I've, I might've darsed them. Um, you know, we kind of like caught up. Eventually we became peers. We, we got our blue belts like real close to each other. We became peers, you know, we're still like really good friends to this day, but yeah, I mean, he probably darsed me a hundred to 200 times. Probably. Is he, is he still trained? Yeah, yeah, he still yeah. trained. Yeah, he's in he's in Ottawa now. He's a super cool guy. Um, yeah. So. So yeah. how long did you spend at that gym? Uh, I, I was there until 2015, and. So I that's got, a pretty good chunk. I mean, yeah. That's, that's a. We was that through purple at least I would assume. Right? Uh no. So I was a uh, blue belt there. So we mm. had a really good team. We competed a ton at at. Um, at white belt and I didn't I wasn't super good um I think my record at white belt I kept record back then I don't mm-hmm. know <laughs> I was like 25 and 25 or something or 50, or 50 and 50 I had a lot of matches at white belt yeah. it's had, pretty good in baseball yeah it's pretty good in baseball yeah. um competed a lot at, at blue belt too um and then uh at like two stripe blue belt um I started to go down to the alliance school and I would drive like seven hours to go down there and I'd stay there for four days and then I would come back for four days and I was just getting like really good training there. So I kind of like made it, that was my mission was to get better at jujitsu and this is what I needed to do. I needed to get out of Thunder Bay and like have way more training partners, like way different, um, you know, way different kind of experience there. End up meeting Aria, my wife and, uh, it was actually pretty affordable for me to, to do it. I had a, um, some help from some guys there that were putting me up in like um, like hotels and things like that for really cheap. And I did that for a while. Meeting, met Aria, got married, and then uh, immigrated to the U.S. Yeah, I'm Canadian, by the way. I don't have a speech impediment, Max. <laughs> it's just I'm Canadian, and then I stopped talking like a Canadian, so there's gaps. So that's just how I am now. So, yeah, I joined the Alliance School finally. You know, I kept going back and forth. And then when it looked like I was going to go over to Alliance, I know I had that conversation with Matt and said, hey, like, I'm going to move to the U.S. And I'm still training at both places, but I'm going to switch over. And he was super cool with that. You know, like such a such a great guy, Coach Matt. Um, still have a great relationship today with him. But yeah, then I switched over to Alliance at like 2014, 2015. And then I got my purple belt there and then my brown belt there. That's a run at Blue Belt, though. Mm, yeah. I suppose. That's a few years. I mean, it felt fast to me. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. yeah. Everything feels fast when you look back on Every it. Every time right? I yeah. got promoted at Blue Belt, I thought it was too fast. I was like, you guys got to slow down. Because I was getting like two stripes at once. I was like, you guys got to chill. Mm. You know? But, I mean, I was. I guess I was putting in the work and, you know. Yeah. I never felt like I got anything too late. Do you keep competing after after that into purple and stuff? 
Yeah, so I actually did really good at blue belt. I was um, I was winning tournaments, mm-hmm. you know, pretty often at blue belt. I was I had started to hit double gold too, which is like the fame double gold, you know. And uh, I was winning different rule sets too. I was winning sub only matches. I was a little killer, man. But like, you know, not still super good at jujitsu, but I had enough to go out and you know enough matches now and experience that I can go out and actually like beat guys, and, and that was really exciting. And I had like kind of like throw caution to the wind when i got to purple belt i won my very first competition at purple belt so i was like oh this is like more of the same right and then the next four years was the most legendary ass kickings i got you know i'd like never won anything else i would always like win one lose one or like i could not get over this hump but part of what happened was i got hurt at in a competition at blue belt um i got my ankle like just torn apart real bad and I kept training and there was some like emotional damage or like psychological damage that went through for years and I would be fine in training and then when I would get to the competition I'd panic tap you know like people would I could feel that intensity I remember like it would kind of come out and I just struggled in competition big time at purple belt it wasn't necessarily apparent to me how to like get better you know that that just show up mentality wasn't working for me you know and I really had to like work through some we had to work through some some big roadblocks and I mean I was at so I was at purple belt for almost four years and I was like the best thing that ever happened to me I if I would have just like went through like you know get the, every six months you get a stripe and you get promoted on time man I would have never figured that out because I needed to be like super frustrated and being like you know this is this is not easy you know to to progress from here i was good at what i was good at but i was super limited at what i what i was good at and it's like you know i learned how to flow roll it's like is this gonna make me better i don't know i don't see the results yet i'd ask around i'd help and people would try and help me maybe i just need to roll really hard that's that's what i did at purple belt i like grabbed the blue belts and just terrorized them because that's what people were doing to me you know my friend butcher Hurt people hurt people, Morgan, yeah, I mean, you know what I'm saying? I just put these guys to the grinder. Because I remember what it was like when I was a blue belt, and purple belts would just wipe the floor with me. I was mm-hmm. like, maybe that's what I got to do. I rolled with a guy named Danny at Alliance, and he used to just, like, whoop would whoop me so bad. And uh, he was really good. And I was like, maybe that's what I need to do. Maybe I just need to just, like, beat the ever-loving crap out of, like, every person that I come come to roll with. <laughs> And even though I was a small guy, I think I got a little bit of a reputation of a guy who rolled really hard, mm-hmm. you know. And, and um, like my friend Butcher, <clears throat> I, I remember asking him, like, you know, not too long ago, I was like, what was it like, you know, coming up when he was like a blue belt, purple belt? Like, what was it like rolling with me? Because I remember I was like pretty rough with you. And he just stopped and he's like, I'm surprised I didn't quit. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm sorry, bro. Yeah. So. Uh, let me back you up. You said you weren't, I mean, at Blue Belt, you were winning a lot, but you weren't real good at jiu-jitsu yet. Yeah. So why were you winning? Um, <laughs> I think the level at Blue Belt isn't very high. And you can, I mean, at Blue Belt, if you have like a kind of a base level at jiu-jitsu and you have one move that you can do well, you probably tap almost everybody with it. And for me, I had a straight ankle lock. That was pretty good. Like I can catch anyone around my level and then like one level higher than me I could tap pretty consistently with it even at the gym guys back then didn't know how to deal with my level of strength a lock right 
And um, I mean, I was super limited. I didn't play top. The first time I ever got on top of somebody was in a tournament at Blue Belt because I, I never got to play top because everyone was so good at wrestling and so much bigger than me. And you knew you would drill top position, but you know, I wasn't, uh, I never got to play that position. The only way I could win was to get to the back and I would literally get there not from top position. So I'd have to crawl on people's back from the bottom, you know, off balance them and crawl on the back. So I had like two moves. And that was a really good triangle. I had like, like a ton of triangle wins, probably like 30 or 40 by then. So I was just abusing this, you know, my like one or two good things. And I, yeah. I and I, there was a lot of stuff I was not good at. So nobody really has a whole game at that point. But if you have no, one no. or two sharp blades, yeah. you're, you're pretty good to go. Yeah, you're more than pretty good. If you can, if you have a couple of sharp blades that lead to submission, mm-hmm. it's, that's what you really want. Mm. It's not good enough just to be good at a move at that level that doesn't end in submission. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because yeah. if you if say if you have a really good uh, hip bump sweep, you know that's your move. But you face a guy that, you know, you can hip bump sweep ten times in a match, but he's got a really good arm lock. Well, he's gonna get you. It's like if there's no time limit, someone that can end a fight versus someone who can't end a fight. There's such a clear advantage there that people should be looking at that and seeing that. Oh, there's like a lot of value to that. And I was just lucky enough that the moves that I was gravitating towards were fight ending moves. You know, sure. It reminded me of uh, Akila. Even like today, feels like she beats people who are better than her because she's so physical. She's so aggressive. Mm, she's sharp and just takes stuff. But she she said there's been multiple matches where, as it's going, she's recognizing she's outgunned skill wise. Yeah. So I was just kind of curious. So then, is that the problem at Purple Belt then? The fact that, okay, I got these couple sharp blades, but the greater game maybe isn't developing. Yeah, because now all of a sudden, like, you can't just, people don't fall in the triangles anymore. And now how am I going to set that up? It's almost, if I don't have the, all the other skills with this, I'm not just going to be hitting triangles on people. I need more steps. And footlocks, they don't work anymore either. Everyone's pretty good at defending that. So it's like, now what do you do? Well, you've got to learn the other part of the game. I had to actually learn how to play top position. It's like a pie, right? You've got stand-up, you've got bottom position, you've got top, and you've got like the top position. And you've got to learn at least two of those at, at Purple Belt. And I only had the one. So I put a lot of time into top position. <clears throat> and it's only one that you can pressure from top position that all those other tools that you had can start, can like come around and you can use them all together. All of a sudden I can hit triangles from top position. All of a sudden... I could pass easier because I'm threatening a footlock. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it all kind of worked in together. But I was really resistant to learning top position. It was always on my to-do list. And, and it's like, I want to learn top position, and I'm drilling it. But what would happen is I would go to roll, and I would just play bottom again. And <laughs> and I would just like go to what I was good at. I never forced myself to play top position. That's another common element to these conversations is there's a point usually purple or brown where so many people I've talked to about this will be like, and that's when I realized I had to learn the other half of this shit. You have to. You'll never get to black belt. If you, if you don't get out of your comfort zone and you only ever learn one of the three, no matter how sharp it is, I think that you need to, you'll need to give up something to, to learn the rest too, you know, especially from most small people without prior martial arts experience, learn the bottom. It's just 
you get put there. So you learn from there. <laughs> People that are maybe a little more physically imposing, they learn from the top position. And then they'll have to learn to stop doing that to get better. They'll have to pull guard every round. And then there's like the, the wrestling position too, like the standing position, which is also very important. But you literally don't need to learn that. If you can learn bottom and top, you're, you're fine. Then yeah. you can also add that in the supplemental it's a little bit of a human nature thing. You're going to fall where you fall for the first few years, and sooner or later you just got to boot camp yourself into yeah. learning the other shit. Yeah, it depends on what your aptitude is and what your like physical body, you know, mm-hmm. where, where it wants to go, how it wants to learn. What do you like now? Um, top like position. if you're going to go in and have a fun day. Uh, top position. Yeah. Sure. Or stuff that came later. Yeah, it's still more interesting to me. But or like the was fun to fun to me is chaining everything together. Yeah, doing jujitsu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I meant though, like yeah. Like given your druthers, how do you start a roll these days? Uh, I I still always start on my butt, and then I if because mm. it, it kind of depends on what the other guy's doing. If the other guy wants to stand like stay like upright, I'll mm-hmm. always pull. It doesn't. I'll never wrestle on the knees. It's never happened once. You know, if he wants to pull, I'll stand. I it's kind of a 250 pounder thing. We're both going to kneel and like <laughs> paw at each other like pandas speaking from experience. Yeah. But definitely still like developing the, the top position. So I definitely wanted to keep playing there. It's more fun too. It's so much more as a person who's small and it always got grinded on. It's so much fun when you learn to use your weight. Finally, when you get to like how to learn how to put pressure on somebody mm-hmm. and keep your balance. Mm-hmm. You know, that sliding scale of like pressure and stability. When you learn how to like maximize that as a smaller guy, it's chef's kiss, man. It's so fun. I agree. It's so, it's so great, man. It's so fun. I was top side on uh, that Trevor, tall, big, big, tall, purple belly. He's like six foot eight. Trevor. Wait. Tyler? Tattoos. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Trevor. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Tre- I don't understand picture that tall. <laughs> he's, he's legit six seven six eight. He, he kind of really? stoops over, but because he almost hit his head on the door, I'm like, that's six Holy eight. Shit. He's like six six. Anyway, uh, I was top side on him, and he just whispered in my ear. He was like, still not as heavy as Hayden, and Hayden's like one eighty. Oh you know? wow! I, and I'm like two eighty. So that I get yeah, that's that. There's one of those superpowers within jujitsu is to be yeah. small but heavy. Mm. Yeah, it's like weight placement and, you know, like, are you carrying your weight on your knees when you're in cross side? Are you carrying it on your elbows or is all your weight on this dude, mm-hmm. you know? And on top of that, you have to be able to do that and still be able to um, have balance, you know? Usually when you're pancaked out on somebody, you've got pretty good stability, but, yeah. <laughs> Tell me about Brown. Uh, so, <clears throat> finally got the Brown belt finally felt like I got over the the heat for for brown belt once you get to brown belt you know you can get the black belt it's there's not a whole lot of uh you know you understand you're starting to understand jiu-jitsu at that point you know so yeah I got I got promoted to brown in 2019 at the alliance school and I was there for <clears throat> went back to competing and, th- and that for me it was like the most fun belt like by far brown belt was oh yeah it was so fun man competing was fun again um i started winning a lot and 
now that you like at brown belt, if you can kind of get over that purple belt hump and learn that top and bottom position, you have like a complete game. So your game never stops. You always have something that you're doing, no matter what position that you're in. Now you can like really learn, you know, jujitsu at like what I would say like a higher level. You know, now you're doing like not just I see something, I move something jujitsu, where it's like you're operating at like a layer one, like super physical level, like. I'm like, if I see a target and there's three walls, I just walk through the walls and grab that, that dude, right? That's mm-hmm. like that level of jujitsu is, is very primitive. It's very like, I see something, I grab it, I move that thing if I want to, you know, if I want to do something. As you get better at jujitsu and you want to operate at like a higher, more efficient level, now you're operating on things like I'm doing jujitsu in a way that I'm limiting the choice of my opponent and I'm causing him to do dilemmas. So it's not like, I used to think counterfighting counter or like dilemma jujitsu or like counter jujitsu, whatever. I thought it was literally just like I'd stare at a guy with no pressure. And then when he would go do something, I would do something, you know, but that's not really what it is. It's more like in chess where you set the board and you say, like, I give you one or two moves and whichever way you want to go, I literally couldn't care less. My body's going to move in a direction to put you in check again. Okay. So that's like that, you know, dilemma or I love the term illusion of choice. You give them the illusion of choice. That's the definitely like a higher level of jujitsu, and so for me, brown belt was all about learning that you can finally start putting everything together, where you can operate on that level, or an even higher level, you can get into like, I don't know what I would call like almost like predictive jujitsu. You know, you can predict what he's doing without even putting a lot of pressure on him, because that dilemma-based jujitsu is great if you're on top and you're smashing somebody it's like very like apparent you can look at the guy struggling you've got two options here you can turn away you can eat my shoulder for another 10 minutes till your teeth crack or you can turn it you know or i'll limit so you can't turn it so you can only turn away or eat my shoulder that's super easy to to to, um, dissect what their dilemma is not so much when you have a position so you're setting the board but there's not like a physical pressure on them to like choose what they want to do if you can predict what they're going to do based on options like that now you're operating at like an even higher level that's when you get into like you make it seem like without a ton of pressure you you know if you're on bottom it's like i'm making it seem like it's a good idea for you to grab my collar and it's like "Mm -mm, no that was not (laughs) because now i arm locked you or it's like oh maybe um maybe it's a good idea for me to long step here no a jedi mind trick to your back is those kind of situations where I still set the board, but it's not like a two-way street. Now you've got like a few options, and there's not a whole lot of good options that you can do from there. So you kind of go from taking advantage of things you see, let's generalize, at purple belt, mm-hmm. to setting the traps, and then taking what you said you wanted. And it's a super hard concept to, to, to teach somebody in the beginning of jiu-jitsu. That's not something you, I, in my opinion, that's not something you can you can convey properly to people in jiu-jitsu. And it's not going to make a lot of sense until you're ready for it. When you're ready for it, though, and you're, and you're ready to learn it, you'll see, like, tons of gold nuggets. It's like how I can put everything that I've learned into this. I would almost say it's like how to fight, like real shit. Like how do you actually, like, in a real world, make jujitsu? Like what makes jujitsu so special, right? Because there's a lot of junk in there. There's a lot of stuff that's, like, it's not easy to learn. You know, it's not super intuitive as well. It seems like a, a, a maybe an interesting or a fun idea would be equating it to, just speaking from my own experience, like you rolling with a reasonably fresh blue belt. Mm-hmm. You know what they're going to end up doing, whether or not they know they're going to do that. Yeah. In any given spot, it's like a catch and release thing. And then 
as you continue through Blue Belt, like I can fucking feel and watch that happening. Mm-hmm. Like if you and I go down and roll right now, it's just going to be me watching you set shit, decide not to finish it, move on to something else. And I'm going to process that that's happening, even right. though I can't see that it's gonna. Yeah. Like three seconds afterward, I'm like, oh yeah, he, he planned to do that. Yep. That was the whole idea here and the whole idea of that movement and that grip. Mm-hmm. So if you, it seems like if you keep that fresh in your mind, then it would be reasonably easy to teach it later on. Like later on these games that people played with you, it's your turn to play the game now. It almost never, never makes sense in the moment. It's very hard. Let's just say at that new blue belt level to gauge people's levels. Something that I understood too, that like when I was a fresh blue belt, Purple belts seemed godly to me. Yes. Black belts seemed godly. But mm-hmm. they didn't seem more godly. They just yeah. seemed just as good. Because yeah. if you have like an outcome-based kind of reception to like how you're doing, if it's always the same outcome, how can you really tell the, the difference? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So that blue belt, he might get tapped for me. He might get tapped by me five times in a roll. It's like my level is my level. He could go do jiu-jitsu for three, four, five years, come back, be way better. Maybe he's like won some tournaments and I mean, and just get tapped five times again. It's like, well, what the hell changed? It's like you could never really tell where that level was. Sure. He can't see where I am on that jujitsu mountain, right? But I can certainly see where he is, which is so good for coaching. If you, if you had to have been where that guy was, you know, mm-hmm. jujitsu mountain, I like to use this analogy sometimes. It's like, mm-hmm. I am where I am, you know, and you can visit other people. You can go up and down. And I like, you know, you can go back down to like where your blue belt buddy is and you can be like, oh yeah, I remember being like on this path, you know, like I'm way up here, you know, but I remember what it's like down here and you can kind of give them little tips like, hey, try this, try this path or try this or this is going real well. And, uh, you know, you can really help people out like that. And then when you go back to where you are, they can't necessarily see that far in the distance. They can only see where they can see. And likewise, I can go visit higher up, you know, I can go roll with Ishmael I can go roll with like... Marcus or these other guys are like really good Aquila and it's like oh it's nice up here I can kind of see like you know <laughs> like their, their level is so high it's like oh I can kind of see like you know it's nice up here but I can't see where I am on that mountain so how I don't know how I get here you know but if you only jump up a little bit then you can kind of see like oh that's the my, that's my next level hey I can see where I am down yeah. there it looks like, like looks like your perspective you normally yeah. have because I didn't go too high up exactly. or whatever. I got you because I mean I can jump up to the highest mountain Hicks and Gracie Gordon Ryan these guys it's like man I can I can kind of like see what's going on here mm-hmm. but I mean how to get here it's too far of a jump I don't know how to get there so you right. gotta kind of like that's why it's nice when people jump down the mountain and help you out and they give you little you know they give you little tidbits of information yeah. Helping me out, yeah. I mean, like Ishmael's given me a lot of really great information, you know, as far as like how to get better, how I, you know, adjust things. Yeah, he's he's a real special, real special coach, man. He gives a lot, and I love the way he he teaches classes because he'll he'll do like his advanced classes and he'll like show a move and be like, "Here's your move." He'll just like it's like putting like food in like a fish tank. You just like let you motherfuckers just. Just try that out. You know, it's spicy. <laughs> you know? And you just try it out. And then he doesn't give big monologues. He doesn't say like much about like the meth- methodology. He just asks, he just says, you know, y'all motherfuckers got any questions? You know? <laughs> and it's like that's when you like, hmm, why would you do this? And you know, it's when it, whenever someone asks him a question, he always gives an amazing answer. He always gives a really thoughtful, good answer. You're like, man, well, why didn't he just say that? It's like, well, you have you can't. You can't be told. 
You have Correct. to be you have Correct. to be in a position where you ask and you are given, you know, yeah. like given back. So I love the way that he's able to do that. There's so many times where I'll like be playing with a position and be like, Hey Ish, what do you think about this? You know? And he'll like tell me his thing. I was like, Man, that's like that's like twenty years extra experience on mm-hmm. top of what I got of like He's been through here, you know. He sees where I am on Jiu-Jitsu Mountain. He just laughs at me. And mm-hmm. <laughs> well, his, me his answers sometimes. a lot of times feel like he scripted the question, mm. which maybe sounds silly. And I've actually noticed that of a couple of the guys, you know what I mean? It's like, I know what you need, but you need to stand up and ask me. <laughs> I've got it figured out. Just phrase the question so that I can give you the answer. Yeah. And I think you're right. If, if he did the monologue thing, said, here's a bunch of the details, it falls flat. Nobody's going to hear it. Nobody's going to yeah. absorb it. And I, I say that from essentials classes where he'll say, okay, here's, here's our position, here's our move, here's the counter, mm-hmm. and here's the response across the whole class. Like if, only, if only it was that simple. Like, well, yeah. well, but he'll, he'll explain it all, and we'll go drill it, we'll come back, make an adjustment, we'll drill it again, come back, make an adjustment. And I laugh about this every single time with whoever I'm doing the last round of drill with, mm-hmm. which is like you get there and you go, Oh, right. So just do what he said. Right. Like there's all these problems, all these problems, all these problems across the hour. And then by the end of it is like, oh, right. You know, he said all this. He, he already answered all my questions. Yeah. I just had to stumble my way through to make the answer make sense. Or maybe it's months later when you remember what he said. And you're like, Most oh, definitely. Now it's making sense. Yeah. But he's also like kind of in you know, a coaching. This is totally different than learning jujitsu, but from a coaching perspective, he's also showing a move and then giving the illusion of choice of what your questions could be. There's only so many questions you're going to have in this position. Mm-hmm. So he is kind of setting the board mm-hmm. as far as like, you know, these guys are going to only answer, like, ask me like a few different questions. Right. And it's, the question has to be asked is, is kind of the original point you were yeah. making. If you, if you or I don't ask the question and he gives the answer anyway, nobody hears it. Yeah. He's not, it's not pertinent. Yeah, he's really, you know, limiting of like what you would ask. You're not asking him like big vast questions like why are we here? Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. He's, what if he has a gun? He's yeah, you at this point <laughs> you're uh, yeah, what if he has a gun? We could talk about that. What if he does have a gun? <laughs> yeah. Well, hope maybe it was bring your uh, you know, maybe it was bring your uh, your rifle to M3 day and <laughs> yeah. uh, you just happen to, you know, have it on you. I, what do you think of this? I have I have this uh, impression in my head of the hierarchy of instructors mm. and you enjoy teaching jujitsu. So like there's, it's a room full of experts, mm-hmm. right? Everybody, everybody knows and is good at in some definition or another jujitsu. And I'm picturing the people on the wall, mm-hmm. not, not the lowly the folk. wall of badasses. Yeah. Um, and some of them can, can tell you what they do. Mm-hmm. That's category one. Mm-hmm. Some of them can explain it, mm-hmm. right? Some people can instruct, mm-hmm. and some people can coach, oh, and instruct or teach. You know what I'm saying? Like every single one of those people can describe to you what they do. Mm-hmm. I, this is what the game I play, and completely not useful to me as the person who asked. And some some folks can explain it. Mm. Right, which gives me more details. And then there's people that can like teach sort of your distinction between I'm teaching a seminar and giving a private. And then there's some people that can coach. Mm-hmm. It's I see like four different skill sets in terms of the dissemination of jujitsu information. Yeah. So most people who are really good at jujitsu, like, okay, that's like the first level. Most people can describe what they do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like yeah. they have it. There's a reason why they do what they yeah. do and they can teach at that level. Right. right? It's what they know. It's what they know. And then there's, and then it's like, okay, well, how do I teach that to someone who's not me? 
how do I teach that to someone who's, you know, brand new in jujitsu, or how I teach someone who's like a blue belt? You have to kind of modify like what your what your understanding is of this thing, right? And then you've got coaching. I think the coaching thing is more like it's it's an, it's an, like an investment, you know. Like Ishmael's a coach, you know. Marcus is a coach. Other guys that are there, they're teachers. It's like they may not want to invest that much into it because it hurts, man. And um, it's not uh, it's not to be trifled with that. Like you know, you have to choose carefully, like who you want to coach because you can get you know kind of burnt. Put time into somebody that like doesn't want you to be there. It's like it's gonna fall on deaf ears. But most people can kind of just coach, like what they're very, very good at, you know. And it's so funny too, like the most of them can explain it. Yeah, they can explain it. If you're following my the, my continued thing, you I, if I'm good at a thing, I can explain it. Almost everybody can tell you what they do. Almost everybody can explain it. But teaching is different, mm-hmm. and then coaching is even more different. Mm-hmm. Both in terms of a skill set and an interest. Sure. You know what I'm saying. Well, let's just let's take Marcus, for example, and we'll say, like, you know, I've got a question for Marcus, and I'm a, I'm a newer belt, and he's showing, you ask him a real specific question. How do I finish the bow choke when this position with the hook's in? And he'll, he can tell you, oh, yeah, you just grab like this, and boom. Yeah. And you're like, I got it. So now I, now I win at jiu-jitsu, <laughs> right? It's like, well, no, you have to be able to get there. And it's like, now I'm going to help you get there. You know, you can't just, it's like saying the board and being like, okay, this is the specific board that we've set. And then boom, I checkmate. That's how I yeah. do it. Right. Yeah. That's how I checkmate. Yeah. yeah. That's how you checkmate. But you know, right. we got to go, we're, we're like way out there, man. We got to dial it like way, way back. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's not easy to, to bring people to that, that moment. Marcus has got the patience of a saint, man. <laughs> And ish for that matter. And I think that that's part of the inherent qualities that go into the difference between an explainer and a teacher and a coach. Yeah. It's like, um, how useless is this pupil in front of me right now? Despite their interest, despite their, their drive, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, that's why it's good to look at guys like Ishmael, who's set the tone of the gym, and he's showing you how he teaches people. It'd be, it'd be wise for you to, to watch what he's doing and, and learn from that. You know, Because I don't think... I mean, so I, I mean, the, the gym I was at before, it was very, it was very militant. You know, it's very like, we're learning this. Yes, sir. No, sir. Who do I kill, sir? It's like, boom, right, <laughs> right there. It's, mm-hmm. it's not super, we're going to help you along and, and all that. And, you know, it's like lots of monologues and this is why we do this. And it, and it just see it falling on deaf ears, the, mm-hmm. the opposing to like, you know, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to bring you to the, to the pond, you know, and then like, it's up to you. If you yeah. Want, if you want to yeah. like continue, yeah. Or not, and and value up and down the scale value in that approach. Like, if we all just shut up and do the thing, mm-hmm. it's going to land to a certain percentage. You know what I mean? It's it's going to be valuable, but it's like, oh, can I do this differently? And can I have the the message land to a broader audience and maybe better to the current audience? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes you have the skills that you have, though. Yeah, I mean, your skills are what you're what your skills are, you know, and then you're just trying to get better. Did you say you competed at Brown Belt a lot? Mm. I'm like reviewing things yeah. we've talked about. Yeah, quite a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, so my very first competition at, at Brown Belt was at this local Fuji. And 
it was like one of the more eye-opening experiences. I got to face this guy named Spencer Mummy. And this is a guy that's, you know, he had like, I think he said he had like 600 matches at that point or something. Four-stripe brown belt. You know, could have got his black belt years ago. Absolute killer. I mean, he's full-time jiu-jitsu. And then there's me strolling along, you know, like, no. And I got to, I got to fight him, uh, and he whooped my, whooped my ass bad. I mean, like, flying triangle. Now we got to do the best of three. Now he did, like, counter my footlock and knee barred me. And now I got to fight him again in Nogi. And he, like, whooped my ass, like, worse and worse every time. <laughs> I dropped 04 to this guy, and it sent me into this, like, kind of like this funk. I was like, man, that dude was so much better than me, you know. <clears throat> I didn't know how to, like, get over that, you know. But it, it showed me, like, the Jiu-Jitsu Mountain, you know, an analogy. I saw where he was. I was like, ooh, I could get there. I just got to, like, I got to work my ass off to get there. And uh, and then I, I, I really tried harder after that. I mean, I was putting the hours in like you wouldn't believe it did master worlds or i guess at the time it was like jujitsu con and you know you're in the adult division i faced this guy who was like he was like a coach at atos hq and under you know and i could feel it i lost but i could feel it like oh i'm right there man this guy is not that much better and if i had the confidence if my constant confidence wasn't shattered at that moment i would have whooped him you know, of course, I said about all my losses. Oh, I would have whooped him, but for real, I could, I could, I could feel it. You know, I'm like this guy's human, and I'm right there. You know, so after that, um, I felt like I could, I could do it. You know, even though it was a loss, and not to be conflicted a moral victory, victory with an, an actual victory, because you don't want to do that. I had a moral victory there, and I kind of rested my laurels on that a little bit, being like, okay, well, I can do this. And after that, I made a lot of big changes, okay? I changed schools. I did. I, I started adding in, like, a lot of conditioning and, and other things like that. And then I actually started to do really well. I started to win a lot of tournaments. Um, I won Chicago under Ish, and that was also a big moment of, like, reaffirming. Like, you know, I, I'm definitely one of the best guys here, you know? I won that, and I won a couple other local tournaments like all submissions too i won a couple of super fights i had a couple that were close but um yeah I, I was doing like really well and it was like really affirming like all my decisions were were getting backed up by um positive feedback winner winner losing so that's why i think competition is like so valuable for people and if approached properly it's the best tool for getting better at jiu-jitsu It'd be like learning information without taking the test. How do you know what you actually know if you don't take the exam? Yeah, I suppose. But some people definitely need it. Other people don't, don't seem they don't seem to need it. They've had other trials and tribulations in their life. They just understand, mm -hmm. you know. Or maybe they've competed at something else. They get what it's like, you know. But for me, I definitely am like a need to make those mistakes myself kind of guy. So I needed competition and not just competition but i needed competition with uh quality opponents and you need quality opposition of force to make yourself rise to that occasion and prepare well because if you just know you're going to beat everybody and you're facing guys that are way less than you it's like how much are you really getting out of that i already knew i could beat that guy it's pretty cute though yeah, it's fun you have yeah. a good <laughs> moment you, know, you take a picture of you you take a picture of you biting the metal or some yeah. shit like that, you know. <laughs> looks great on social <laughs> looks media. Looks great on social media, but you know, most guys want to look like the thing instead of being the thing, you know, in, so in this you, age. 
You gonna compete at black belt then? Am I going to? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will. You haven't yet, right? No, okay. No, it's been like a couple weeks, weeks ago. I, yeah. like, damn near died with a staph infection. Well, yeah, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> oh, Some, somebody, that. yeah, that's what he was sick with. Yeah, oh. yeah, I got in me, dog. It was like you ever seen uh, uh, Army of Darkness, where the guy gets the <laughs> <laughs> gets like the guy like in his arm and all that shit. Uh. That's what it felt like, dog. I just it started in my finger on like this on this arm, and it, yeah. my finger blew up, and I lost a feeling in it. And then I like, I remember shoveling and being like, man, my like elbow's like a little sore. I must have tweaked it. And then I woke up and my elbow was completely blown up. And like just touching my my elbow was like super painful. By like midday, I was getting like the red. Oh, yeah, you got to go. The red streaks going <laughs> yeah, you over my went. chest. Dog, and I had like a big red patch. It, it was, it was a... Uh, it was scary. That's no joke. I thought either, I was gonna though. die for like. Yeah, you, that's yeah. some death shit. Yeah, that that night, I, mean, I was getting the antibiotics in me, so I was like, I mean, hopefully they're the right ones. <laughs> but I was like 105 fever, couldn't even like lift my head in bed. You know, super sick. But I beat it. I'm still alive. <laughs> that's a PR. Yeah. Personal record. Yeah. Speaking of that, you, uh, I don't know if you were saying it tongue in cheek or if it was a real deal, but you seem pretty happy about uh, ref and IBJJF tournament. Oh yeah, that was fun. A few months back now, right? Yeah, yeah, that was good. Um, you like reffing? Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Uh, I don't know how much I'm going to ref in the future. Um, for me, I started reffing because I was absolutely disgusted with the level of reffing ability that was coming through here. Not IBJJF, but like the other tournaments. Mm-hmm. It was it was awful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, these people must have put in less than five minutes of thought into like how they're going to like conduct themselves in reffing. Mm-hmm. And I've been boned a lot in matches and I've lost my shit when I've been <laughs> coaching somebody and then they lose and the ref is like out to lunch. Nothing will get me like more turned up than like bad reffing. Mm-hmm. So I decided to just do something about it and took the rules course, made sure I knew what I was talking about. And I started reffing just to like, kind of like give back a little bit. Sure. Right? Yeah. And, um, so I ended up like making a goal of like, you know, that I'm doing this. I want to at least get to the level where I can ref IBJJF, mm-hmm. like the gold standard of like rules. Right. So I went through that process and I did that and, uh, it was fun, man. I mean, like my first IBJJF event, I went from being like a trainee where they like watch you, you know, they put the headset on you and stuff so that if you make any calls, they can kind of like reverse your call. And usually you're supposed to be there for like a few events. Uh, by like an hour the dude was like you know you're good you're fine like you can just go ref whatever so mm-hmm. I was refing like black belt absolute finals over here and stuff mm-hmm. it was so fun man yeah so yeah it was cool um, is the problem with some of the the smaller organization and local tournaments the fact that they're just picking people up on the fly just to have bodies in the ref outfit well you could do that but you need to train them sure there's no training yeah yeah so every IBJJF event, there's a course the day before, and they make you take it, and it's kind of like a meeting of the minds, and you go over the rules. That's how you're supposed to do it, and there's got to be some kind of process that you can train guys, because when you go over there, there's like, I'm not going to name any names, but some of these other yeah. organizations, everyone's doing something different. No one knows what the rules are. Right. Everyone's doing different stuff. Everyone looks at it differently. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it just, it's another version of development. I'm assuming 15 years ago, that would have been roughly your experience with IBJJF kind of tossed to the dogs a little bit, you know, yeah. and 15 years from now, some other organization that's maybe a little more rough shot day of will probably have stepped up and improved and gotten better, but you need more people to step up and ref. Like, well, the, like the you rules do. are very confusing. They're, they're not easy to learn and you have to 
you know. Because it's different for different belts and different in and out of the gi and all this stuff. Dog, like, just the way that you have to, like, literally, like, it's like the Bible. You got to go in and, like, interpret this shit. The IBJF rule book is open to interpretation. And you have to, like, when you, like, see a, a sequence of moves, you have to go back and, like, think about, like, what did the rule book say exactly? You know? So there's, like, a lot of learning to be done with that. It's not like fight to win where it's like, all right, we're going to start the clock in six minutes at the end. Whoever I think won, won. (laughs) There's a scoring system there. And if you don't have good refs, you there's no trust in the system. I think that's the main reason why, like, the big gyms around here don't want to send guys to these other tournaments that are, like, on the circuit because Mm -hmm. there's no proofing the talent that comes into sure. ref yeah and once you clean up the refing you get confidence in actually wanting to do it yeah but when yeah. you like oh this guy gets slammed unconscious and it's like it's fine or this guy like you know clearly like destroys the scoreboards like why would you want to even compete in that it's you know yeah the compilations online of like the controversial slams and the weird calls and the mm-hmm. the no recognition of the tap and stuff aren't generally IBJJF no. footage now that I'm thinking it through it. Mm-hmm. Is it do you think there, there should there be like a minimum belt level to ref? Well, there, there is. Is there? Okay. Yeah. So IBJJF, it's brown belt. You have to be at least a brown belt to do it. These other tournaments, they should as well, but sometimes they let, let it slide through. But you just, right. like, you cannot have a blue belt refing a brown belt match. How could you even, like, their understanding isn't even at a base level of where they're at. Right. And then on top of that, you have to know the rules. I, I would, I would actually. Yeah. I mean, ideally, I would say blue belt shouldn't be refing a match. <clears throat> they can maybe, maybe they can ref blue belt matches. Maybe you know? though, May, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they look so different. There's stuff I just have never seen. Like I could tell you the name of these positions and moves, but I've never seen it. You know, mm-hmm. somebody just explained reaping to me the other day, and I was like, oh, that seems <laughs> fake. But whatever, you know. Like, and, and I'm trash blue belt. Okay, so let's say somebody's good blue belt and they're competitive and they study and they drill a lot. Even still, mm-hmm. like it just seems like it should be a higher standard than that. You know? Yeah, it's almost harder to ref white belts because white belt matches don't even really look like jujitsu. You know what I mean? I do. So when you're, when you're trying, <laughs> I do know what you mean. Yeah. So when you're trying to like think about what the rule book says, you know, and then you're looking at two guys who aren't really doing jujitsu that much. It's it's a lot of crazy stuff, and now you're trying to score that. It can be kind of it can be kind of tough, right? So like one of the rules is like the regarding. You know, they say like, oh, well, if you if you get past it's three, and if you regard, and then you get past again, it's three, right? But what if the guy on bottom is like not really regarding right well what's the what's the what's the book say on that well what it says is that you've regarded once you've gotten into a position that looks like just for an instant you could use a move this week okay so if you get like a hook in like you can conceivably see like a guy getting swept from there yep that's a regard okay well, what if it's a white belt match and i look at this and this guy <laughs> this motherfucker on the ground i could never see a point where he could have even like began to regard or get like a position because he's not really doing like the jiu-jitsu I know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's very like... His foot just happens to be in a spot. Yeah, do you see like glimpse of, a, of jiu-jitsu? Blue belt matches, refing blue belt matches is a lot easier. It's very blocky though. Like jiu-jitsu is sure. very blocky. So yeah. you can kind of follow along, but hey, these guys are actually doing jiu-jitsu now. Like you can see what they're doing. Okay. Yeah. So it's easy to follow along. As you get to purple and brown belt, you got to have your, your 
eyes dotted, your T's crossed because they're moving quick, man. And you yeah. have to understand that, like, uh, like you have to watch what's going on and also understand like where they are in the match, like what actually happened, what was mm-hmm. the sequence of events that like led up to it, you know. Right. They're not landing in half guard and then now we're in half guard and here we are in half guard. It's flowing through and they're playing a game. Yeah. So it's, it's fun to ref the higher level guys, but you got to make sure that you're on because some of these guys are trying to win by two or win by an advantage or like it's so close. And if you make a mistake, it's, it's on you. Like you messed up big time. So it's, I mean, you got to be dialed in. Refing white belt, adult. 145, 155 is probably the most exciting shit that you'll ever see in It's fucking wild, dog. I love it, though. Like, you know, if I, if I know I got 155, oh, yeah, this is going to be great, man. Because you're just going to see wild stuff. You're going to see big throws, you know, tons of reversals. Like, guys just going at it, man. You know, cranking on each other's face, you know. <laughs> it's super intense. I get in there, man. What's the conversely then? What's the worst to uh, ref? I don't like reffing the big guys. <laughs> um, you know, it's a lot of big old guys in particular, or just any of them. No, it's not my favorite. Usually, there's not a lot of position changes. Mm-hmm. Whoever gets on top is going to win. You know, once they get that, <laughs> once they get that big dab bot on the other guy, he's, he's pretty much done. Um, you know, there's just not like super interesting to me because that's not like what I what my jujitsu looks like. So I always like like to do the little guys yeah sure you know, sure. if you're a bigger guy you know more beef on you maybe you're like more into like watching the bigger guys roll also i gotta like get out of the way because if they like land on me or something it can be bad kids is the most stressful to ref because you have gonna to have to deal with crying almost every time and sometimes they're, they're, not, they're crying during the match too yeah yeah and sometimes they'll like at tap cancer kid. out you had you several you crying play. kids at, oh, at yeah. tap cancer out I kept eyeballing you like, what are you, is that you? Are you mm. causing me crying? <laughs> they just cry. They cry yeah. when they win. They cry when they lose. It's mm-hmm. fine. I'm pretty numb to it now. Um, what it is that's hard is that you have to be, you're like um, responsible for their safety. Yeah. And you right. don't even wait for them to tap. Okay. Yeah. The arm extended. It's okay. Finished. I've noticed. Oh yeah. So like, you know, if I'm watching white belts, I can stand away and be looking and then when a tap happens, paru, it's a, it's over, right? Of course, they're white belts. They don't know what paru means, so they keep going. So you may have to say stop or grab mm-hmm. them or something. But, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it's pretty much like hands off. Like yeah. with the kids, I mean, they put an arm bar on. My hand is there and there so that when it gets extended, I can isolate it and I can stop it from bending and I have to be like right there. And some of those are like they come on quick. Yeah. And especially like for me, it's the arm bars that are freaky. Mm-hmm. Because they get the arm bar and then the kid goes belly down and the other kid goes belly down with the arm. You can no longer see it. So I'm upside down and I can't even see it sometimes. I'm just grabbing the arm to see like, is it, st- is it straight? And you got to call yeah. it, you know? So it's super, you know, stressful, man. Plus their parents are watching. Plus their parents <laughs> are going. Sure, yeah. You, know, you don't ever want to stop it too early and you definitely don't want to stop it too late. So, mm-hmm. you know, so when kids getting chokes and stuff like that, I'll tell them like, hey, you got to get out. You got to get out. And if you see them leaving, like turn like, a little bit red or blue and it's like you got to make that call like it's over you know give them some time to get out if it's not too locked in but you also don't want them to like you don't want them to have a great experience you know yeah. just like how you would want your own kid to have a great experience it's too stressful bro 
That's why it's there's not worth the money. That's that, well, that's and, that, and that's why refing a lot of times is pretty, maybe less than satisfactory because just like refing youth sports and stuff. Dude, I'm like, sweating just thinking about refing the kids right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. You're grabbing whoever. You know what I mean? This is not like a glamour gig. So like, mm-hmm. yeah, of course, once in a while you're like eye rolling at, at the refing calls and stuff. Oh my god! Like that's what I mean. Like you can't have bad refs and have like kids matches, dog. Like. Yeah, so but you, get, you know it, it, it is changing. They are getting better refs. Um, tap cancer out is amazing. Okay, they they really put make sure that they do rules meetings. They hire the right people. They're like doing it right. Okay, really well run overall. Both both years I was there. Yeah, fast, efficient, boom. Yeah, really well. You know they hire good guys. They hire IBJ, IBJF refs a lot of time. So you're getting like a great experience. They're also the only one locally, or not local, but like a circuit that runs with advantages because the refs can actually like are competent enough to do mm-hmm. advantages and penalties, which is the only way to do points, in my opinion. You need to have the advantages in there. Why? Tell me. Because if you don't have advantages, then there's no penalties. The penalties don't mean nothing then, you know? Oh, sure. Duh. I, just, I always find that weird that people are like, oh, yeah, we don't do advantages. We just do points. And it's like, there's supposed to be some kind of selling point. Well, it's like, well, what happens if I foul then? You know, we should be on the board as well. And they're like, no, we don't do that. We just give them verbal warnings. It's like, that's yeah, stupid. Please, <laughs> please don't do that. Yeah. Do but, it again. No, please, seriously, please don't do that. Speaking of, does anyone, this is a little off track, but do we remember what happened with Oleg's match at the IBJJF when his opponent got DQ'd? Yeah, I heard about it. I heard what happened. Well, he did it. He, I don't remember what happened, well, but I remember there being, and this was black belts, right? And there was like. Yeah, he got DQ'd twice. That twice, that, yeah. That he did this, not happy. did the same thing in the following match. I don't know if it was what, the same, what? but it was similar. Yeah, what, he, was what, the, what, what, I honestly don't even remember what it was. Uh, he put I, Oleg in the saddle and he put that Texas Cloverleaf on him, which is illegal. But it's not like, if no one told you that that was reaping and attacking the leg mm, that's stuck. Mm you would never know that that's illegal. Because okay. it feels like a shin lock. It's, like, it's kind of weird. It's like a knee bar shin lock. It's not like a reaping position, but it's definitely illegal. Because you can't, in the saddle, you can't attack the trapped leg at all. So that's, that's why. So he got DQ'd and didn't know. Oleg's like, okay, well, I mean, I won, but I also got tapped. And then that guy was like kind of understanding. And then he went out and like did again. He was like, "Fuck this shit, <laughs> like, bro! Like, you didn't learn. Like, stop reaping in the gi and not be to death, man. They don't like that." And this this is another good example of why blue belts shouldn't ref because I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I don't know what any of those words meant. <laughs> yeah, if we can't even talk the same language, you know. yeah. I, but like, I'm joking, but also, yeah. And then try and digest that in a live match when there's pressure. No. Yeah. Yeah, I just remember watching it from because I was on the other side of the, like, yeah, the yeah. mats. So mm-hmm. it was like I was like, "What's going on down there?" You know. My favorite moment from refing that mm-hmm. was so in IBJJF, you can't ref anyone from the same team, and you can't ref anybody that you're friends with, and you can't ref anybody that if if you were on a previous team. <laughs> so that that tournament was hilarious. It's all local guys, and it's all people locally. So it was like juggling, right? Mm-hmm. I couldn't ref anyone from Alliance, Pedro Sauer, plus friends. I mean, we got guys that have been like to a few gyms. So whenever there was a conflict, I'd you know, go to the head ref and he'd be like, okay, you bow out, we bring someone else in. But there came to a point where like the board was stacked with people that like the ref just couldn't, they couldn't figure it out. Mm-hmm. So then from our own gym, we had Kevin and Paco coming yeah. out yeah, yeah. and they were like, okay, I'm like, I can't, I can't ref. He's like, yeah, no problem. They tried to grab someone else, Gil, now former teammate, grab another guy. No, we can't, they're friends. So I looked at him, I was like, 
We're both on the same team. Yeah. They're just going at it, bro. He's like, just this one time. So yeah. it was great. <laughs> Kevin and Paco, the grudge That's awesome. man. And Kevin, before I end, he goes, dog, just so you know, my mom's here, so I'm going hard as fuck. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they high five and just yeah. go for it. No, yeah. there was no hands. They wouldn't even touch. They oh, wouldn't even touch okay. The, yeah, yeah. So I was watching that. And it was so funny. It was and, like, but that's like a rule for the refs that kind of makes sense. But at the same time, it's something seems like something of a nod to like the old school cultish martial arts thing. Oh, there, it's a point now where like cross contamination has to be huge. Like how many gyms are in this metro area? Mm-hmm. How many guys have bounced around a little yeah. bit? Also, like I get to know all these guys too. Like so, define friends. Like I mean, there, at some point, it's like you got to just trust you know, your refs to make good calls no matter what. Yeah. I mean, they got to make good calls, but it's all about appearances. You yeah. Know, at the end of the day, because which is the you, culty thing, because <laughs> even if it was all good and, and all that, all of a sudden something goes online where you see a ref, give a ref's decision to a guy and he's on the same team. It's mm-hmm. optics, man. That will always catch heat yeah, no matter yeah. how the match went or how, you know, unbiased you were. Sure. Or thought you were. Right. So they never want to be put in a position where it's like that. Yeah, the big hug with the ref after the match. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you see lots of crazy stuff refing, though. I remember, especially guys being in the wrong division for Nogi, you know? Because, you know, if you're a pro amateur MMA fighter, wrestler, you got to go in that blue belt division, dog. You can't do white belts. So I had this one division that was like five white belts, and they were in like the beginner, beginner division. And I noticed when this was going on, I didn't know it was beginner. I thought it was intermediate advanced. These guys were hitting like flying triangles and stuff. I was like, everyone was so good. And everyone was like, had wrestling experience, but the whole division was sandbaggers. I was like, okay, you guys can just go. This is, this is crazy. Like, isn't, yeah, you know, some, there's like some mismatches in there. Well, and some of that is just the subjectivity of it all. Like one guy that is kind of okay can look pretty good against a guy that's maybe less kind of okay but oh yeah some of those four stripe white belts or blue belts can look amazing like oh these guys black belts like no their quality opposition is just not very good it's, you know right right as a compared to like what it would be like but you can make them look amazing right what was your favorite match you had or best match story competing um oh, I don't know man it's still coming it's, up, huh? Yeah, there's there's uh my favorite event would probably be Oh dog, I don't know. There's just so many good ones. I always have fun at the IBJF events. You know. I don't know. I guess, I guess they're all kinda like like kinda like lump into them themselves. The most the, the biggest was when I won Chicago the first time. That was the most satisfying win, I suppose. I wouldn't even say it was like a match, just like going there and like winning that for the first time was like a probably like the best feel good moment I had in competing you know because it's always like no matter what the IBJF is always like on a pedestal like doesn't matter like what you've done you know doesn't matter if you've won grappling machines 10 times mm-hmm. if you've never won IBJF you kind of get like discounted a little bit mm-hmm. so that was good that I like finally hit that because that was like when I did my goals every year I would write IBJF gold and it felt shitty to do that year after year after year after year still chasing that first one so when i finally like did that i was like finally i can cross that off and make like now we can do double gold this year you know sure well in chicago i mean minneapolis is a new location for them to be it's only been a couple years but chicago's something of a draw maybe not like some of the other bigger bigger ones but i know guys that have won like big tournaments like pans they've won Mm -hmm. 
American Nationals. They've medaled, and they still don't have that Chicago title. They say it's just one of the hardest, hardest tournaments to win in the Midwest. It's the toughest tournament in the Midwest. Yeah, Ish said that too when we were there this year. Oh yeah, there's, there's, the level of competition there is, is great, and it's everyone funnels in there. You get the Daisy Fresh guys. You get like you know. Yeah, you get a lot of really meows are there. The meows are there every year, sitting on the floor in the middle of the walkway. Oh, I can't wait to face Jao. I'm just gonna area, chase Jao around all year, this year. <laughs> Whenever he's signed up, I'm gonna be right there. I just want to like that was my one goal when I hit the black belt. I was like, I can't wait to face Jao. You know, I'll cut the weight. I'll do what I gotta do. I just gotta like feel that. You know, really chasing after that like quality opposition. Like you can't mm-hmm. get any better than that guy. Mm-hmm. So and hopefully he's still competing. It's like your year. two your two matches you reference at Brown Belt. The the one was an ass kick and the other one was a loss, but you learned a lot from both of them and it it helped you step your game up. Right? Yeah, that's that's a good way. I never thought of it like that, but yeah, yes, I guess yes my, you have because it's that dumb jujitsu cliche: you win or you learn. <laughs> you literally gave two examples of that same dumb cliche yeah. of like I got took an ass whooping and then I took a good loss. Mm-hmm. And it completely changed my game. Like yeah. you've learned. Unfortunately, you don't losses. you don't learn much from wins, because you can make the same mistakes in a in a win or in a loss. But if you've made mistakes and you won, it's very easy to just discount those. I mean, like, well, I mean, I got tired, but still tap that dude, right? Like, who cares? But then when you get tired and then you lose, you're like, man, I got tired and I yeah. lost. Like, I better. There's a hole there. There's something I got to do better. The feedback loop on negative feedback is a little more uh, pertinent. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, for sure. It's time for the advice segment of the program, sir. <laughs> <laughs> the way I usually do it is for any given belt rank, what is the general uh, training advice you would give? You can give it from a coaching perspective, too, or however you want to do it. <laughs> but we start at the bottom. Oh, white belt? Yeah, give advice to white belts. Hmm. I would say for white belt... I would say come to class with an open mind. Ask why a lot, even if it's annoying, because that's how you learn. And try, like, like don't go too fast either at white belt. Take things very slowly. You're not going to be able to do, like, what the other guys are doing and, like, just be okay with that. Make sure you're showing up. This is the one time I'll give the just show up advice because it's kind of true. Like, you're building new, you know, uh, new routines you gotta you know you have to show up and try and be like a good training partner because if you do like say we're learning like arm bars from closed guard you want some kind of positive feedback from like doing that so if you do like the the sparring you know in the like the guy's levels kind of close like help your partner get the arm bar even when you're a white belt it's not all about you right help your partner achieve what you want and then when it's time turned like the flip Maybe they'll help you too, you know. I just find like that's the one thing I see at white belt. People just like you, you're okay. We learned the move, and now it's like okay, now we're we're training positional training, and guys would just be like, I'm gonna hold on so this dude can't get this move. It's not the purpose of that training. The purpose of the training is to at least get it. Like I told a guy the other the other day, I'm like purple belt and a white belt. Forget what they were doing, but positional training and the purple belt just held him down. I was like, "Listen, if you guys both don't get this move twice, you're doing laps. Like, <laughs> help him get the move." And likewise, you know, mm-hmm. I say like that's probably like the biggest advice because you're learning like a new thing, man. Like if you can do it safely and like try and like instill some good habits, you know, it's probably gonna like take you a long way. 
what is that? Ask questions and don't be a dick. <laughs> don't be a dick. Basically, fly all the way through, right? <laughs> if you want to be likable, like you know, start at like this not a young age, but start at, like at the lowest belt. Be likable. People, if you if people like you, they'll want to help you. You know, if you're like already a like kind of like a dick, and you're like, you know, people don't really want to like roll with you or like teach you stuff. You know, so that's the that's the just show up belt. <laughs> blue, um, blue. Um, we kind of like touched on it a little bit earlier, but mm-hmm. I think this is like the best time because you can kind of like wild out a blue belt. Like anything you do at blue belt is like fine. You know, like you're not gonna like make any mistakes you can put like a year into like the baseball bat choke like i did and then totally not use it for 10 years and it's still fine like you got time to burn you'll learn something else along the way but i do think that at blue belt you got to specialize in something doesn't mean that it's going to be you know the be all end all for you but pick a move and make it be like your special move you know and hopefully you pick something that's going to translate to later on but even if it doesn't but make sure that your special move is something something that leads to submission in my opinion because no matter what you'll have something that you can lean back on and you can build your game around that you can build an entire game around one move but you got to have one move that you can do consistently you know for me it was like the triangle i learned the triangle and i mean from like white to black i mean shit my my triangle at like blue belt was probably like the same level i have now it was just good enough back then you know so like learn a special move and if someone tells you like you need to stop doing that just keep doing it <laughs> do it until it's super sharp you know uh, i think that's probably like i don't know i think that's probably pretty good advice would and, someone tell me to stop doing that meaning like i need to not specialize so much so try a yeah if they tell you like oh you need to do other stuff and be like not yet bitch i'm still doing this move do it the whole time do it for years <laughs> until it's like super sharp mm-hmm. you know whether that's straight footlock, whether that's, you know, Ikimura from this position, you got to get super good at that. In my opinion, that's like the most helpful mm-hmm. thing. Cause if you can actually submit somebody, you know, you're, you're doing pretty good. That's the paper cutter for the record. That's the paper cutter for mm-hmm. you. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Mostly thanks to Oleg. And his, yeah, he's got his, a good one. His free five minute lessons. Every time I see him, I <laughs> Hey Oleg, come here, come here. I got another problem. I asked him about it and I'm like, how do you do it? He goes, you know, I grab, he turn away, I crush the neck this way, he turns in, I yeah. crush the neck that way. It's super <laughs> easy. <laughs> Any of those Russians, man, everything they say sounds super terrifying. Uh, Ifim caught me, he's Belarusian, it's different, but he caught me with a choke one time and he sat there, st- squatted down like a squatting Slav staring at me as I laid there. And he goes, it's a trap. <laughs> no matter which way you move, I was going to get it. And it's just like, this is a nightmare. <laughs> All those 80s action movies. Like, you're the bad guy, I think. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, definitely, like, learn your special move. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it's a submission. Otherwise, you end up kind of doing, like, noodle jiu-jitsu. We can't finish people. And then, like... That's also my deal, as it turns <laughs> out, for the record. And, like, wild out, man. Like, learn as much stuff as you can. Whatever you're interested, interested in, go and do it. Like, if you mm-hmm. want to do... De La Hiva, reverse De La Hiva spider guard, man, just do that, you know? Like, if you're interested in it, watch your DVDs, do it to all the other belts, like, man, like, do whatever you want to do. It's literally like the belt that, like, as long as you have a goal and you're going towards it, you're going to get, like, better and you're going to get through blue belt. If you can get, if you can get past the just showing up thing, if you can get past the, the like, where people like you and they want to, like, roll with you and mm-hmm. you can, like, just 
I don't know. You want to do the Barambolo? Blue belt, bro. Just do Barambolos for like two years. Like it's fine. Even if you don't use it at black belt, you're going to get a lot out of it by, by putting like deep focus into something. Mm -hmm. Don't try and master everything at blue belt. Just yeah. do like three things. I arm drag, I loop choke. That's it. Great. Just do that until like you're blue in the face and you've, then you've like tapped like 200 people with it. Sure. So a white belt show up and get splashed with jujitsu. A blue belt, be likable. yeah, and be likable. A blue belt show up and start grabbing jujitsu. Like yeah, you find the things you want to do and just just grab it, pull it in, and go. Find your move, man. Like mm -hmm. I, I, at at blue belt, I specialized so much in like my one two moves that I could show what I was doing to like higher belts, and and even they would get it right away. But like you could start showing people like that, you know, yeah. what you're good at. Yeah. So you want to get to that kind of level. Purple. Oh man, you got you just achieved the worst belt, bro. <laughs> this is, the worst it's belt. So hard, we talked about this yeah, before you this, got this here. This is struggle bus city. So now it's the keep showing up is not. If anyone's, if you're having struggles at purple belt and you ask your coach and he just says keep showing up, he just gave you like probably the worst advice <laughs> known to man. It, that's that's the base requirement. It's not how you get better. That's just the base requirement. It's like you know you have to be there to get better, but just showing up you're not gonna you're not gonna get better anymore i think most people hit like a peak at purple so um i think one whatever your special move was now you got to add on to it if your if your move was a triangle now you learn omoplata now you learn armbar off of it and now you got to specialize in three moves if it's paper cutter choke <clears throat> now you got to learn i don't know a step over triangle from there Maybe you got to learn. So something when they turn away from the paper cutter and something when yeah. they turn in yeah. and you got to build pathways with that and you got to be good at it. Cause you're getting good at the move. That means your partners are getting good at defending it. Yeah. And anything that you do to complement that moves and make that move stronger. Because I remember being like, I had a good triangle, but guys could posture out of it. And without an arm bar to complement that, I had a huge hole. Once I yeah. learned the arm bar, now you arm bar. Now they bear themselves back in. Now you choke them. They turn away. Kimura, like mm -hmm. they all, you start doing combinations. That's like the belt of like, I'm learning combinations. Sure. Learning combinations and passing. If your move was an X pass, now we do now we do X pass, long step, leg drag. Boom, 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 in any combination. So it's like whatever you chose to like be good at in blue belt, you have to expand on. Also inversely, now you have to learn the other part of jiu-jitsu. One of the other legs, whether that's, I mean, it's not easy. It's super not easy. Like... If you learned on the bottom, now you absolutely have to learn top position. And you won't get past your jiu-jitsu funk until you've learned it. Or maybe it's judo. Maybe you got to go sign up for judo or learn wrestling and actually put some shoes on or put like a judo belt on. Like actually do something different from what you're doing. And that's not easy, you know, in, in my opinion. So, I know I say that's the, probably the biggest advice is you have to like... To, to get better, you almost got to go back a step because I could be tapping everybody with triangle armbar, but I lose the top position in 10 seconds and then I get tapped. What do I do now? Do I just, do I revert back to, well, I'm going to go back to triangling and armbarring this guy or do I go back to the position where I got swept and tapped? It's not easy to do, especially when you just started winning, but you have to do it to get better. So at some point in Purple Belt, you have to learn the other part of Jiu-Jitsu and at least get confident in it. And um, that's what I mean. Like, it's kind of like the worst belt. 
as far as like it's not apparent how you get better how you get over that hump and it's not easy sometimes you got to look in and see like why you're failing at at this stuff and you know you got to look inwards and sometimes it's ugly maybe my ego is getting in the way the ego never got in the way for the other belts though but now it is you have to look inwards and sometimes it's ugly there's an episode title too brown um so for brown belt hopefully you've learned all your combinations and, and all that so you can speak jiu-jitsu as a language you know now if you haven't already like we talked about before now you have to like refine what you're doing it and you got to put it into the context of i'm not just forcing my moves now i have to learn jiu-jitsu at its core why it's so damn effective is is learning that like dilemma-based jiu-jitsu the illusion of choice that jedi mind trick type stuff you have to learn that then that's what's going to propel you to black belt so <clears throat> yeah putting combinations in and letting them choose their path not just forcing everything for me it was not hard to do because i've kind of always kind of done that as a smaller guy it's almost always like i'm a I'm, when I'm rolling with somebody, it's a choose-your-own-adventure book for the other guy. I mean, he's big. I'm not going to stop what you're doing. I'm not going to put walls up that you can't get through. But maybe as a bigger guy, maybe that's where you're going to struggle. Now you have you have to let go of, like, forcing your moves and letting them happen naturally, depending on, like, you know, you put, you put checks and balances in place and you kind of, like, let your opponent decide his fate. And you have to be able to operate on that level. And that's, that, that's the... Um, high efficiency jiu-jitsu and stuff you know when you look at like a high level that's what separates you know really good jiu-jitsu from really bad jiu-jitsu how do you get to that level of efficiency where you're tapping other world-class guys and you didn't break a sweat it's, the, it's like that magic invisible jiu-jitsu stuff so hopefully by then at brown belt you can roll with guys or, or you can feel it and now you can pick it up you know now you're you're um you're ready to absorb that kind of technique or technical level. You can smell it. You can feel it. You can start to see like what your coach is doing to you. Now you got to do it to other guys. But I think that's the biggest advice. And just know that if you just stick around long enough, <laughs> your coach is going to get you a black belt, I guess. <laughs> so there's always that. <laughs> That'd be my best advice. Yeah, I suppose you don't want to be have guys that are 25 years in and like brown belts sooner or later you got to get in a way i mean they're paying to come here right well <laughs> not necessarily you know everyone's on their own journey yes but some coaches like if you're not ready for it mm -hmm. that was the old way the old way was like bro i'm gonna keep you at brown belt for eight years unless you get better it's not it's not like a customer service thing you're not mm -hmm. paying me for every six months mm -hmm. nowadays it's maybe like a little bit you know, it's just like the way it goes. But I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing either. Mm -hmm. I um, I like the idea of having jujitsu rank be different the way than the way it is now. Right now, it's like, it's based on time, skill, and then like all these things that aren't quite tangible. Like, are you likable? Is it like, are you... Do you hop around gyms a lot? You know, have you paid your dues? There's like all these things. It's like kind of hard to like figure out. Like, hmm, when's that guy who's supposed to get his belt? 
because maybe like you might be a blue belt and you might have the skill level of a brown belt, but you only been a blue belt for six months. And it's like, how do you like, yeah. man, how do you do this? You know, it's not a template. Yeah. yeah. And then you can go the opposite direction. You can do it purely based on time. If you get your blue belt, boom. Well, guess what? In two years and three months, you're going to get the next belt. And you can just like tell the guy, like, as long as you're coming, that's when the next belt is. I, I, I kind of like that idea too, but I think they both have their faults. But Pros and cons for sure. How about this? Since you've been sick most of your time at Black Belt, how about thoughts on Black Belt? What are you looking forward to? We kind of touched on it with goals and stuff, but what am I looking forward to? Yeah, I don't know. You can't really give advice to black belts yet. Can no, you? you definitely yeah, can't. Yeah, that's what I mean. Don't get <laughs> sick. Could give it, yeah, could give advice to black belts. Mm-hmm. You know, that's who, that's who I ask for advice. Or maybe this: When are you opening your gym? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'll ever open a oh, gym. Okay. To be honest okay. with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so things I'm most excited for is man. Competing right away at nine o'clock, that's great. Fuck yeah, dude! Dude, I don't want to wait. Absolutely. I don't want to compete at seven, five, six. I want to go right away. I want to know when I'm going. That's the best. I know what day I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Saturday at at ten a.m. Yeah, nine thirty a.m. Um, yeah, really looking forward to. Obviously, I'm big on competition and I'm big on having quality opposition. I mm-hmm. love the idea of having a black belt division. No, you can't fake that. All those guys there are super good. So. I'm excited for like how much I'm going to learn by facing top quality competition. It's super exciting. I'm like shaking just thinking about it. Mm-hmm. I love that idea. It's something I've wanted to do for a long, long time. You know, I've had the comp- I've got to compete against black belts before, and uh, but something different about this, knowing that there's like tournaments set up for black belts and there's proper pep- preparation, and I want to see what's out there, man. I want to I want to know what it feels like to go up against a guy who's got three stripes, four stripes on his black belt. I can't wait. Super exciting, <laughs> but uh, so far it's been cool. I mean, like all the black belts, you know, that congratulate you. It's almost like a, you know, when you get belt, it's like congratulations, congratulations. Like mm-hmm. yeah, when you get the black belt, everyone's like, welcome to the club. Yeah, <laughs> you're on this side of the room. You're now. on this side of the room. Like mm-hmm. so many people were like, welcome to the black belt club. Like, welcome to the club. You know. Yeah. Do, do your knees hurt? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, have you ever, have, let me ask you, so there's, you know, the, the famous um, cliched memes of like when you get your blue belt or your purple belt and you realize everybody was going easy on you. Mm-hmm. Has there been any of that? Like, do the roles, does the training feel different? No. With, with Kevin or with any of them? No. no. There might be okay. a little bit more like respect. Like maybe, maybe those guys didn't want to get tapped by me a couple of weeks ago, but sure. now it's like, uh, it's, it, but it's mostly the same. Yeah. You know, for your peers, it's. If anything, it was more like a change in me. I almost felt like, as a brown belt, it was kind of disrespectful tapping black belts. Like, a little bit, you know? I kind of, mm-hmm. like, hesitated a little bit, like... We've all got a little samurai in us, oh, and it, it yeah. was, there was a respect there. There gotcha. is a respect. So now at black belt, it's like, well, it's fine. You know, we're on, like, this, we're peers now, you know, depending on, like, the level, I suppose. But I've never had a problem with tapping black belts. Yeah. I mean, I've never done <laughs> it, so... <laughs> So maybe that was more like my issue. I don't know if that's sure. common or not, but it was yeah. like a respect thing, you know. Right. Um, but most of the same. I mean, as you're walking around as like a four-stripe brown belt. People probably look at you somewhat similar, you know. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to get what you get when you roll with me. If you roll super hard and like a dick, I'm, I don't have that much patience for you. You're going to get like 
you know, you're going to get the sauce pretty yeah. quick. Not, yeah. Nothing's changed since then. If you show respect, yeah. you get respect. I'm, I don't have like the patience of a Marcus or something like that or someone like that. You know, if you're, <laughs> if you're going to be a dick, like, bro, I got like 10 seconds before I, <laughs> before I turn up and, you know, you're eating shoulder. That's that's a that's a leadership piece. Like you're, you're kind of joking about it, but the advantage of being a higher skill set at a higher skill level is that you get to set the tone of a room and set the culture of a room. Oh yeah, yeah. And I, I've referenced multiple times. Aquila is a role like that. Like mm-hmm. if you're getting the business from Aquila, that's because you tried to give the business to Aquila. Yeah. You know, if it feels a little gruff, it's because you're being a little gruff. Like she she rolls exactly how you want to roll. You know, and some people only learn like that. You can you can use your words as much as you can, mm-hmm. but if they're not reciprocating or understanding what your words are, then um, it's it's like a fall on, on lost ears. That's also like you know not to like go back to like the advice, mm-hmm. but if I could, the thing I see the most, people come up to me all the time and be like, "Oh, this guy's like, this guy rolls too rough," you know, he 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 like extended my arm and, and it hurts. I don't really want to roll with that guy. And I always say like, did you say anything to him? Well, no, I didn't say anything. It's like, use your goddamn words then. <laughs> you know, it's like you're speaking to a child, like use your yeah. words. Like they can't yeah. get it out. Like you can literally like disarm someone with your voice. What's wrong with saying, having these conversations that people like don't want to have. It's like, Hey, Hey dog, let's, uh, can we like take it down a couple of notches? Like I just trying to learn this move today. So, you know, let's not go so hard or, you know, like you can say these things to people. I'm, I'm very upfront with people. I'll even say like, dog, your geese like stinks like cat piss. It's time to get a new gee. You know, <laughs> instead of being like, man, that guy's stinky. I don't want to roll with him. Bro, just use your words. Yeah, Tell him like, why you don't want to roll with him. There's an issue there. You know, you can disarm that. Mm-hmm. It's like, why are you coming to me to complain about a guy that you never had communication with? And I think some people are taken back by their rank. You know, if you're a white belt, and a purple belt's absolutely shit kicking you. Ask him why. Hey, how can we like take it down or like how come we're rolling so rough? Like, how did we get here? You don't have to just take it, and it's like the way it always was. You know, verbal communication is huge. If you're only trying to convey messages through like physical force, sometimes they can get lost in translation. Like, add on top of that what you're feeling by by saying it, putting it out there to like digest while we're also communicating with our bodies. It doesn't need to be an abusive relationship. <laughs> bullying. Mm-hmm. What else you got? Anything? Closing thoughts, Polly. Same to you. Yeah, Polly. Closing thoughts. No, this has been good. <laughs> That's Polly's closing thoughts. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me on. That was fun. Yeah, it is fun. Thank you. All right, everybody. Another episode down, and hopefully more insights gained. If you enjoyed the conversation, please share it with your friends and your enemies too. Like I said in the intro, make sure you go and check out the Pohada Podcast YouTube channel. Click like on a video or two. Subscribe, please. That'd be great. And look through the instructional videos we've gotten up there so far. Thanks, everyone.